And we're live. Hello and welcome to Debut Spotlight. I'm Rachel Barenbaum, author of A Bend in the Stars and the forthcoming novel Atomic Anna. And today my guest is David Hoon Kim, who wrote the spectacular debut, Paris is a Party, Paris is a Ghost. I read this book actually this summer and I have been dying to have David on my show to talk to him about language because I'm obsessed. And this book is pretty much centered on language and questions of language. Going to read to you a little bit of, from his bio so you can, uh, listeners out there who don't know him, will know a little bit about David, and then we're going to dive right in. So, David Hoon Kim is a Korean born American educated in France who took his first creative writing workshop at the Sorbonne before attending the Iowa Writers Workshop and the Fine Arts Work Center in Provincetown. His fiction has appeared in The New Yorker, Brin d'Eternité, Le Sabor, and XYZ. La Revue de la Nouvelle. He writes in English and in French. And I have a horrible accent and hope I didn't slaughter that French too terribly. <laughs> David, no, I'm, thrilled to, I'm thrilled to have you. Thank you so much. Can you tell Thank me? Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. Can you tell me in just a few sentences your log line? Tell me what is Paris as a party, Paris as a ghost about? Uh, sure. Um, it's about an ethnically Japanese Dane who is studying in Paris and who falls in love with a Japanese art student from Japan. And at one point he kind of uh, fantasizes about uh, think about better times because actually he's at the start of the book, he's going through kind of a troubled time with her and about, and with also with finances and things like that. And so he kind of fantasizes, fantasizes about uh, going down the, um, See, he doesn't actually fantasize, fantasize about going down the Champs-Élysées, but the, uh, the street that is actually on the opposite side of that axe, the, the Avenue de la Grande Armée. And um, he calls that the B-side of the Champs-Élysées. And I, um, it occurred to me that the book is actually about kind of like about the B-side of things. And so the, the A-side would actually be, um, for example, a story about an American uh, student studying abroad, or it would be about an Asian American studying abroad, or... Uh, or just an English speaker, uh, an English speaking student abroad. And so, um, and not uh, a, a, a Danish, a Japanese Dane uh, who uh, stu um, studying abroad. And so um, I guess you could say that it's kind of like about the B side of existence, um, or you could even say that there are frag fragmentary moments um, told in a minor key, um, something like that. I love that description. So um, what really grabbed me as I started reading this book were discussions around language and identity. And when I put it down, my first thought was really that there's there's a sadness to this um, to this book, to Henrik, to the main character, um, you know, sort of an overtone of I don't know if it's like a gap of loneliness of not, you know, looking but not necessarily finding a place to fit. Um, did you feel that when you were writing? Did you put that in there? You sort of, you know, how can you talk about that? Um, do, do you mean if it reflects my my own experience? As... No, no. I mean, the book as a whole, like sometimes you put down a book, right? And you're like, oh, well, that was a happily ever after book, right? Or, right. oh, that was a thriller. Or, you know, this really made me feel, you know, one way or another. And when I put this book down, I don't think that this is about your own life because this is clearly fiction, right? Or I don't read fiction as about the author's life. But there was a sort of a, a sadness to it. It was like a gray to it. Um you know, where, where I just kept thinking I wanted, I wanted to, you know, I don't know how to feel it. Did you feel that as you were writing it? You know, did you put that in there on purpose or is that just my reading, which maybe it is? Um, I, I mean, I, I think, 
Um, yeah, I, I think I did feel it. I think I definitely do feel that, um, I mean, I didn't just put it in there as kind of like, um, as kind of atmosphere or, or, or a sort of like, or a sort of like ornament, I guess. Um, um, because there is something quite sad about being an outsider the way Henrik is and, and, and feeling like he doesn't really, um, belong and I and I guess not not belonging is obviously a very universal uh sentiment but at the same time um I I like to think that the Henrik's own sense of alienation is is somewhat unique because of his for example linguistic linguistic situation and the fact that um um he's actually doubly a minority he's not just a minority by the color of his skin which is which happens a lot but he's also a minority combined with that uh, by the fact of him being a Danish speaker and um, not really um, kind of who kind of passes himself as an English speaker, for example, and um, but isn't quite that either, although he did grow up speaking English as well in Denmark. So I guess, um, I don't know. I, I, yes. Yeah, and then obviously there's Japanese background as well. So I guess there's all these layers of him that are not quite there. He's not quite this, he's not quite that. Yeah. But it's not it's not caught between two worlds. He's caught between many worlds, I guess you could say. Well said. And I think because of that, I felt this loneliness, right? This longing um, from him. So it sort of led me directly into my next question. So Henrik has this very complicated, or I'd say multi-layered um, uh, sort of parts to him, right? So he was born in Japan, he's adopted in Denmark, he goes to school in Sweden, and then he's in France, but then he wants to translate between English and French. So he has all of these layers of language. Um, and yet I felt like he, um, he had a hard time speaking to people sometimes, right? And he says sometimes it's because of language, sometimes it's not. Um, but I wondered if you could talk about in, in uh, literary theory, a lot of times there's this, this idea of the in-between, the space in between languages. Um, did you, do you think about that a lot? <laughs> I mean, it's, it felt Actually, like Henrik did. Yeah. Yeah, I do think about the spaces between languages and um, there's actually a, a, a great quote by, um, by, a, by a French uh, philosopher, um, Barbara Cassin, who says that um, you actually need to speak uh, more than one language to know that you need to speak at least two languages to know that you're speaking one language, that it's actually a language you're speaking, that it's a linguistic system. And so I do actually think about that space a lot. Um, yeah, the space between two languages. And um, I guess, yeah. And what do you yeah, think so about? That. Like, are things, I think that a lot it can be lost in between two languages. And it's hard to even explain sure. what it is when there aren't necessarily words in one language that there are for another. What do you think about? Um, I think, yeah, of course, there, there, there are words that um, are harder to translate, but I think um, um, I, I think ultimately anything is translatable. I think ultimately anything is translatable, but at the same time, uh, at the same time nothing is, is really translatable. So, I mean, I, I think, um, I think it's trying to find um, maybe maybe it's just be going be, the process of translating of, of going between of being between those two languages or between more than two languages that that's what's that's what's interesting to me so um, but um, 
I don't quite, I don't find it as interesting to ask, to, to, to dwell on things that, um, to, to dwell on what, what one language lacks that the other one has. I, I don't know. I think it's more, um, I, I guess I just, when you're in one language, you're in that moment. You're not really thinking about like, I guess you're not always thinking about one language in terms of its relationship to other languages. I guess that's kind yeah, of how but I sometimes see it. I, sometimes I feel like um, there's a space that you can't make up, right? If you, even if you're in one language, if you're trying to convey an idea that exists in one that doesn't in another, this, this sort of bridge that you can't quite make. But it sounds like, I mean, I guess you're just a really good translator because as you said, you can translate everything. But I felt well, like, no, some, I, sorry, I felt like sometimes no, Henrik had that where he couldn't quite, bridge that meaning or that space with other people because sometimes the language you know I, I felt like it stood in between yeah um and, and it's obviously more interesting to have to talk about someone who is having trouble translating than someone who can do it really well like his friend rene for example at the translation school he meets someone at the translation school where where he studied where he studies at, at a later point in the book and that's he kind of sees him as like someone who can who has a two native languages and so who can really like who is kind of like the ideal translator supposedly although I, I i am aware that just because you have two native languages doesn't mean you can translate between one or the other um that said i don't think i don't consider myself a very good translator either either so i guess um um because once again like i think um everything is translatable technically but then nothing really is because like i said each language when you're in that language is its own system and um mm -hmm. uh yeah, like even, even in the book. book that, yeah, I was going to say, right. even in the book, you have Henrik trying to translate this short poem, right? And right. it goes through the crow, right? And all these different iterations right. of how to describe a crow as, you know, as right, opposed right. to the literal translation of the crow. It was just, you illustrated it so beautifully. Thank you. Um, yeah, um, I guess, uh, yeah, and I guess um, in, in the end, uh, 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 no, and, and, and in any case, to go back to what I was saying, I think it is like someone who is having trouble going between, who is having difficulty translating, who, who doesn't see it as something like that, that he can just do, that he or she can do, can um, just, you know, and then not really think about it, wouldn't be as interesting than, than I guess, portraying someone like Henrik, who is, um, who has all these issues, you know, and some of them aren't even related to translation, and he just kind of, I don't know, I think he just has a lot of issues, that, you know. In terms of in terms of his life, and uh, I guess it just kind of uh, just kind of like seeps into his re relationship with with his languages. Yeah, and, yeah, I love it. So right from the beginning, I like to just you know pull out little pieces that grab me right from the beginning, where um, she's where Henrik's standing there, um, and he thinks that he hears "j'ai froid," "I'm cold," or it could have been "tavoie." And then later on, we find out it's au revoir, right? Mm -hmm. And these all right. these words sound so similar. But like you were saying, when you're struggling, I guess, to translate, to hear, to understand what's happening, even if you might know the words, sometimes you don't always know. You know, you can twist the words to what you think you might be hearing. I don't know. That's what I thought, especially because you didn't hear au revoir. He didn't hear the goodbye. Right. But it's also kind of not clear whether it's it's is it is it really on him or is it on her partly too because of her trouble with um with the language and that's also yes. kind of like 
it, it's kind of a special relationship when you're with someone and you're speaking, you're communicating through a language that's neither, that, that, that's a foreign language to both of you. So I kind of wanted to, that was my attempt to explore that aspect as well. Um, yeah. As you can see, it doesn't, it doesn't often have very good results. So. No, um, it did. And I loved it. And you even said at one point, the words even buffered by a foreign language nearly caught in my throat. Um, right. When he tries to say, right. Just before that, trying to say, I love you. I mean, there's right. It's, it's different in different languages. I just, I love the way you approach language and you ask these questions about language in this book. It just had me thinking for days. It's, you know, so I really appreciated it. And then I felt like you layered on top of that um, questions of appearance. And so early on in the book, for example, Henrik is a translator um, and he's hired to translate for a blind man. And he doesn't realize at first that the man is blind. Um, and he's so used to people looking at his face, right? And thinking right. one thing and then being surprised to hear that actually he's Danish, but he can speak French and English, right? They're thrown by his appearance and his background, except the blind man sort of took him at face value. Um, and so could you talk a little bit, there are some other instances in the book where you also, um, you know, sort of question the relation of appearance to people's assumptions and things. Um, is that something you could talk a little bit about what you were thinking when, as you were writing? Um, yeah, um, I think maybe thinking about it just now, I think maybe I wanted to approach it from that, uh, from that angle, or maybe because of my experience living in, in Europe, living in France specifically, in the sense that um, I felt much more visible as a, as a person, as a, as a person of color in, in France than I, than, I, than I do in the U.S. Because although France is a multicultural country and, and quite possibly the most multicultural country in Western Europe, I, I do feel that it's definitely not uh, the same as living in, say, Southern California um, or even other, other urban centers in the U.S. where I... I I felt much more visible. And so I think maybe um, it made me think about it more than I guess I would have if I had lived in the US when I was, um, uh, I mean, if I hadn't lived in France, for example. So I think maybe that was a catalyst. It just, it, it occurred to me. Yeah. Um, because then you contrast that with um, one of the characters. Uh, she is a model for art students. So she sits there, right? And the class and right. this one guy in particular freaks her out because she feels like he sees I don't know, like more something that's not there, but there she is caught in the gaze, right? And, but she's chosen to be there. But again, you're sort of nailing someone to this appearance of, well, what do we see? And you have art students drawing and she can't see what they see, right? right. And, and how they're portraying yeah, her. It was a great contrast to that. So Yeah, that's a really interesting um, take. I, yeah, I, I wasn't thinking about that angle at all. So I'm, thanks for pointing <laughs> it, it out. It was just there in the writing. Right. Well, it's because I think right. that there's this, the consciousness of the book is the relation of how do we, um, I mean, at least what I read, right, was very much of how do we relate to the world, both in terms of appearance and language, or sort of how do we mingle with people and that you have the gaze, people looking in, and then how you project yourself through words, through language, which is how we communicate many times. Um, and you caught that. And and also you had, again, um, when the uh, art students were drawing the cadaver, I don't want to give too much away, but just to say that they there's this point where they were trying to flip her over and they didn't realize she was Asian, they said, until they had flipped her over. And again, right. it was, you know, it's just a human body until then. So was that another part where you were thinking about appearance or 
yeah i think yeah yeah in that instance i actually was definitely thinking about um uh another take on how appearances can be um occulted or um obscured i guess in 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 this particular situation as it was in the the in the the previous instance of with the blind physicist not being able to see him um yeah so i guess this was kind of like i was i wanted to just kind of explore um another situation where ethnicity can be obscured in a way or um uh where someone could be seen differently because you can't uh you can't see their ethnicity for example um as in the terms of in, in, the, in, the, in terms of a cadaver lying on its stomach so yeah yeah um and all the effort to turn her over is like a little, right, right. <laughs> you know, yeah. a little gruesome and yet made a very good point. Um, okay, so let's move on. I want to talk about ghosts. And one of my favorite passages, and I think other people have also quoted this passage in the book. Um, if anybody has a copy, here we are on page 147, um, where you've written, there are ghosts everywhere, she finally said. The city is filled with them. It's become a giant cemetery. When I asked her what she meant, she looked around at the nearby shelves as though we might not be the only ones in the bibliothèque. A few days earlier on the train, she had nodded silently at an empty corner of the otherwise packed car. It could have been a puddle of vomit or a dog dropping out, but Mary Vaughn had said a ghost. After that, whenever I noticed an inexplicable gap in a crowd or a mysteriously vacant seat on a bus, her words came back to me. I just thought that was so great, this idea of, you know, making these ghosts in Paris, but also anywhere, right, where you have an inexplicable gap. Can you talk about that? Um, sure. Um, yeah, I'm, I'm just always um, interested in, in, in absences, I guess, um, and what I guess manifestations of absences, which which kind of sounds like a, a an oxymoron, but um, I, I think maybe the book is kind of about absences too, in in general, uh, because you, for example, what, what Henrik's relationship with Fumiko, the the Japanese art student, is you never really actually see them. Um, it, the book is really about the aftermath of their relationship, and so um, she's kind of an absent character, and um, um, I think maybe uh, I could be wrong about this, but French literature is very liter interested in absences. I mean, um, or, or rather, the, the language is um, we're interested in absences um, in terms of um, as kind of like a, a dramatic tool, like having a character who's who's not there, who's absent, and who's never who never appears, but who is often talked about. And it, around which the story evolves, and so um, I kind of wanted to, yeah. So I guess in in a, in a way that that was uh, ghosts in Paris could be uh, I don't know a metaphor for for absent people uh, and just I guess things that you're haunted by, things that happened, um, or, or, or you know something like that. Yeah. I mean, I think it's a great metaphor, and uh, I like that idea of thinking the cemetery, right? All these ghosts all around us, because in a sense, they do haunt us, um, right? Other ideas or, you know, people we've lost or, you know, even the metaphorically, like things that weigh us down, right? There could be all sorts of gaps there. Um, 
And uh, similarly, I thought that your very the very last word of the book, <laughs> or the very last sentence of the book, um, similarly sort of talked about this absence, or um, which I felt like was a heavy absence. Again, where you said, um, "Let's see, where do I start here?" Like typing over a word with another word, then with another, again and again, until there's only an indecipherable jumble of letters. I thought to myself as I gave her a smile that reflected none of the chaos and turmoil and sorrow inside of me. Um, I just thought that was so right. That summed up Henrik's right. What was inside of him? The chaos, the turmoil, right? And typing mm -hmm. over and over again. I imagine him doing it in so many different languages. Did you did you think about that? That sort of can you talk about the turmoil or chaos a little bit more that was in Henrik's head in his life? Um, sure. Um, I mean, he, he, I guess he's just someone who's weighed down by um, by a lot of things by that point because by that point he's gone through he's lived through the the relationship with Fumiko and he's also I don't know he's been living in France for in Paris for. I don't know, I guess close at least 10 years by that, by that point. And he's no longer, I guess, the sort of like, I mean, I kind of, I don't want to like maybe innocent or whatever kind of student when he arrives um, uh, earlier in the book. Um, so I guess I just, I was, I, I wanted to kind of uh, acknowledge that just kind of like the kind of the, 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 the weight that, that, that he was carrying in, in, in the, the psychological weight of, of having, um, I don't know, having been kind of living like a ghost all these years in, in, in a sense, because he doesn't actually, um, like I was saying earlier about the B side of existence, the B side of things, he's not actually, he's never actually in the center of anything. And, um, and uh, um, yeah, so I guess, uh, He's kind of, it's always, it's always kind of a struggle with that for him. Yeah. In the book. So um, I, I've grilled you so much on language here. Um, thank you for entertaining my questions because this is really what got me. Um, but I also wanted to ask you, um, you know, this is a, um, a novel in some ways, but also, um, you know, you could argue that there are some short stories pieces too, right? There are parts that you could take out that could stand alone. Um, and yet they weave together beautifully. Um, how did you think about this in terms of a novel or a short story? Um, I, yeah, I'm really glad you asked me that because I, it, it, yeah, it, it's, um, I guess when I was writing it, to be honest, I always thought of it as a collection of linked stories. And so, um, um, it's not, I guess, I guess it's really not um, up to me to say if it works as a novel or not. Um, I, I, I have to say that, um, it's more like a, I would say it's more like a fragmentary chronology. It's more like a fragmentary biography of someone. And so um, kind of these moments, moments uh, in his life. So, um, so I don't know if that answers your question in terms of like, it does. I think of it. I mean, it says right on the cover, a novel, <laughs> right? right? And yet when yeah. I read it, I was thinking, I, I don't know, it sort of read to me like, I was thinking, I wonder if he wrote this as a collection of linked short stories and then realized mm -hmm. they came together, right? But then um, what is the line between the two? Collection of short, right? right? right. Fragmentary novel versus short stories that are linked. I don't know, that's like right. a bigger question for literature. 
I think that the problem is it's, it, it could be that it's neither one nor the other quite, it's not quite one nor the other. Um, mm -hmm. I have to say that it wasn't entirely my idea to call it a novel. Um, so, um, and, uh, but at the same time, I realized that it's, it's somewhat problematic because it's not straightforward, a collection of, of short stories. So um, I guess the question is what, what exactly is it, but, um, Maybe it's also like in between things, like it's in between the way like Henrik is in between languages. Maybe it's in between these two things, the novel and the short story, which are two ends of a spectrum, maybe. Um, I think it fits. I mean, it works because of that, right? You're not just telling a straight story because it's not just a straight life. So right, yeah, I think that works. So what was the hardest part about getting this book published? Um, I would say that there are a lot of there are a lot of things, but I I would say that it's just kind of the uncertainty. You would think that after you sell a book, that everything is is certain now. I mean, there's there, there's a degree of certainty, but I think it was always like I I was never quite sure when things were happening or when when other things would happen, and so often it was like in this sort of like limbo like space. And uh, I found that it it was a bit frustrating, I have to say. But um, what do you mean that um, you weren't sure what was happening? Well, just just things that. Um, um, well, like during the editing process, like when certain things would like, um, you know, like when the editing would, uh, when the next stage of editing would happen or when there would be things like, um, I don't know, covered, I don't just to say something randomly, cover design or, or just kind of uh, the jacket copy, things like that. It was never, um, I think, um, I think it's a pretty typical trajectory to not really know when certain things are happening. And um so it involved a lot of waiting and things like that, but once again, that it would seem that it's very typical. And um, yeah, and then and obviously just kind of having to do things for the first time and make decisions. Like you know, for example, I obviously after before this book, I never worked on an audio book. I I never worked like I not that I read read the book myself, but I mean finding a reader and then um, and uh, things like that. And I actually found that a bit. A bit frustrating because um, I really wanted someone who could uh, who could speak French, and it was compounded by the fact that um, uh, I had to. It had to be someone who was uh, Asian American. I mean, not it's not something I insisted on. It's something that had to be that way, and so um, I think uh, it, it it added a degree of difficulty to the process, and. Um, because I think there aren't a lot of Asian Americans who speak French well enough, who know French well enough to read, like to deal with all the French in the book. So um, like the little little words and sentences, not that the book has that much French relatively speak, I mean, abs uh, absolutely, but yeah. So it, it, was, it was a bit of a tricky process, I have to say. Yeah, and obviously um, those parts were important to you. So, you know, it was good to, you know, yes, you were on top it, it of was. them. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, that's great. Um, okay, and so my last question, because listeners always want to know, is what kind of advice do you have for new writers? And I'm just going to say while you think about that for a minute, I'm going to add here on the banner for people who are watching or in case you're listening, you can find David at www.davidhoonkim.com. You can also uh, find links to him on my websites and Mighty Blaze. So what advice do you have for new writers? Um, I would say that... Um... I would say that 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 
that you should um, that the that the actual writing process should be um, the most important thing for you because after that it's really out of your control. So I think really you thing you have to like the most by far is is writing the the actual writing and, and revising your book before it's submitted. I think if that's not by far for you the best part of this process, um, I think what you expect is not likely to correspond to what happens after you submit the book. And also, I think you should like, I think reading should be at least as important to you as writing. Um, that's just my take on it since, since I, you know, you asked me. So. Yeah. That's great. I I could not agree more. I feel like people ask me or they'll say sometimes like, oh, I don't have time to read. And say, so then how can you write if you can't read? I don't know. That's how right. I feel. Right. You know, that's how I learn the most things. And so I agree. It's it's hard to find time to read. I mean, it, these days, especially like with the way things, the way things are, I mean, it, it's hard to, it, it takes a certain amount of concentration, just like, I mean, just like it takes concentration to write, it takes concentration to read. So, yeah. I, it is, it's not obvious. Yeah. David Hoon Kim, thank you so much for joining me. Sure, I really loved chatting. And may you sell many, many books. Thank you. <laughs>